it seems like great journeys, fascinating journeys, are just about the, the best way to go about creating a new book or to create a, a compelling story of one kind or another. And as many books as have been created about such a thing as a great journey, uh, there are still fascinating new stories to be told. And one of them is found in a remarkable new book called Kingdom of Ten Thousand Things, An Impossible Journey from Kabul to Chiapas by author Gary Geddes. In this book, he recounts the experience of his attempt to duplicate uh, a really unprecedented journey taken uh, between the years of 458 and 499 uh, by a Buddhist monk, a 5th century Buddhist monk uh, named Hu Shen. And this was a long journey uh, which took m- much of the globe. And uh, Gary Geddes, in, in attempting to recreate that journey, uh, ended up having a, an unforgettable experience of his own, seeing so much of the world. And we're going to talk with him for a few minutes about that journey and the experience of, of writing this book about it, published by Sterling, again called Kingdom of Ten Thousand Things, An Impossible Journey from Kabul to Chiapas. Gary Geddes, we welcome you to the morning show. Glad to be here, Greg. Is there anything in your own background which made the undertaking of this journey uh, anything we should expect? Well, my my family was quite curious and uh, and somewhat fearsome of this journey when I set out. And a number of friends said, you know, why do, why do you travel uh, uh, so much? And why don't you just sit and write? I said I travel for the same reason that a bagpiper walks back and forth when he plays. A moving target is harder to hit. <laughs> but you know, if you've if you've sat on the Pacific coast as I did uh, as a kid on the beach and seen little glass fishing floats drift into shore. Uh, yeah, I asked my mother where these came from, and she said, without a pause, they floated here from Japan on the wind and current. And uh, so I've, I've always been fascinated by accidental and intentional uh, voyages and, and passages of, you know, great passages through through geography that uh, that we can't imagine anymore most of us most of us suffer from what's called thalassophobia fear of the sea we travel so easily by plane now that it's hard to imagine our ancestors being intrepid enough and and uh, desperate enough at times to make these huge ocean journeys and uh, so for me, for me it was a it was a wonderful opportunity to put myself in uh, as much as you can in, as a modern person with all the uh, advantages and comforts available into the position of this ancient monk and, and to try to retrace his journey. Hmm. How did you first come across the story of this 5th century Buddhist monk? Well, uh, uh, Greg, I was editing a book, of, an anthology of West Coast writings, and I came across a little paragraph describing Hui Shen, and uh, it suggested that he had uh, spent approximately 40 years in the Americas, sailing 20,000 li from China. And this, this, was, this was a rather staggering story because most of us are so Eurocentric. We, we have accepted more or less that, uh, that 
nothing much happened before Columbus. Of course, we had to change that perspective when we found the uh, Vikings had actually been here 500 years earlier. But I, I love the idea of, of early travel, and uh, more and more material is coming to the fore to suggest that Columbus was was by no means uh, one of the early ones. He was the last to arrive. He just had the biggest mouth and the best PR. <laughs> Very well put. Um, how do we know anything about this journey which this monk took? I mean, what are the accounts which survive the journey, and how trustworthy uh, is that information? A very skimpy account of 746 Chinese characters, about three pages worth of uh, material in the Liang Dynasty. Uh, it's a, a summary of the story that he told the court historians when he came back, and it's, it's disputed by quite a number of people. They think it's probably just a legend. Uh, there are some uh, true believers out there, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm one of the ones that's pretty closest to being a true believer. The, uh, the authenticity of the story is difficult to determine because with each new dynasty, uh, we, we don't know how long the original story was. It wasn't written down, uh, recorded permanently for a hundred years after, after Hui Shen's death. And, uh, with each new dynasty, you know, the librarian would either be killed or dragged up to the uh, emperor's court with a sword to his throat and said, do you want to live? And he would say, of course. And they'd say, okay, reduce the previous history to two volumes, from a thousand to two volumes. And so everything would be summarized or turned into a kind of reader's digest of Chinese past, and the new dynasty would assume you know, the authority for, for history. So it's quite likely that his uh, story was much more detailed and much longer, but that the version we have has has suffered those kinds of shrinkages through history. Hmm. It was to escape persecution that uh, Hui Shen, uh, if if indeed this occurred, uh, set out on this extraordinary journey. Can you tell us more about the circumstances of that? Well, he fled. He was an Afghan. He fled Kabul because the the White Huns were trashing monasteries and killing uh, all the Buddhists. And uh, Bamiyan became a very dangerous place to be. And China was known as a, a, a refuge for Buddhism. And uh, so he he would have left probably around 450, the middle of the century, and made his way over the Silk Road uh, into into China. And the the question of why he made this journey is is there's probably probably and there's probably several answers. I mean, curiosity has always been back of people's journeying. He was a he was a monk. He probably had some missionary zeal involved. But also, uh, every time the dynasty shifted, there'd be a, a potential uh, scourge of the Buddhists because uh, China was largely a Taoist and Confucian uh, country of Taoists and Confucians. So uh, often when a new dynasty came in, you, you, the Buddhists would have to go into hiding or would have to uh, uh, find some other kind of uh, disguise for themselves. So I would think that uh, a political astuteness, missionary zeal, and curiosity were the, were the three reasons. Hmm. 
For those of you just joining us, we're speaking with Gary Geddes, and his book is called Kingdom of 10,000 Things, An Impossible Journey from Kabul to Chiapas. So you get the idea of trying to, at least to some extent, retrace the steps of this monk, Hu Shen, and experience at least something of what he experienced in his journey. How did you go about putting together kind of the nuts and bolts of of how you would exactly undertake this journey and, and exactly where you would go and how? Well, the details uh, in the account of his voyage are, are fairly skimpy. I mean, aside from the, from the knowledge we have that he is alleged to have sailed 8,000 to 10,000 miles to the east, uh, this leaves any, almost anywhere on the North American or South American continents that he could have landed. My, my theory is that he gunk-holed along, uh, along the coast through the Kirile and Ch- Kamchatka Islands and down through British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, California, probably as far as Mexico, even, even Ecuador. <clears throat> and it, it's likely that if he was in the Americas for 40 years, that he would have gravitated to the most advanced civilization at the time, which was the Maya. These would be uh, probably the people that he would think most open to the messages that he had to, to pass on. So for, for me, it was a question of you know, starting in Afghanistan, where he originated, and making my way more or less uh, along the Silk Road into China, and then uh, crossing the ocean and doing the trip into, into Central America. Well, this meant sitting in Islamabad in Pakistan for two weeks while the Taliban decided whether they would give me a visa or not, mm. and during which time I interviewed refugees and heard so many horror stories that I was uh, quietly hoping the, Af- uh, the Taliban would turn me down. But uh, they, they handed me uh, the passport or the visa and said, we'll give you uh, 10 days in Kabul. And, uh, that's all you can see. Hmm. So everything began from there. And what uh, had started out as a fairly whimsical quest uh, with the Taliban at one end and the Zapatistas at the other and 9-11 in the middle, it sort of morphed into something much more political with a kind of larger larger significance. Right, a, a, a different sort of weighty significance. We should talk for a moment about 9-11. It's so interesting. Uh, I, I can think of at least two other instances, and there's probably even more, which I have interviewed authors who have written books about uh, long journeys of one kind or another in which the event of 9-11 occurred in, in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it, it, it remains such a fascinating thing. Uh, and, of course, you, you're certainly not the only North American who was uh, someplace else in the globe when that event occurred. But I should think that really had to feel so strange for something so momentous uh, to have occurred. And, and, and here you are uh, someplace uh, in, in a very remote locale. Uh, when you almost accidentally receive word of it. Yes, I was uh, going through the ruins of an ancient Muslim city called Gaocheng and uh, riding on a donkey cart. This this city had been established around the 9th century and had eventually been rendered uninhabitable because of the drifting sands of the desert. It was now being uh, 
recovered and, and cleared as a, as a tourist site by the uh, industrious Chinese. And uh, uh, a young chap leaned across the donkey cart to me and uh, said, uh, Gary, what did you think of the events in New York yesterday? And as he explained to me, it was it was a very, very strange feeling to be sitting in the ruins of one city and being told about uh, the, the beginnings of the ruin, ruin of another city and, and back home. Back home. <clears throat> so it, it, it resonated throughout my, my trip, and I kept coming back to it. And, of course, those images don't go away very quickly. Right. They never do. Hmm. Uh, tell us the... The, the reason for for weaving Hui Shen himself and what we presume to be some of his words and thoughts uh, into this narrative. Well, I, I was delighted to hear your comment about journeys. And one one of my favorite kind of travel log is is our travel book is a book where the writer has a companion, and uh, you know, think of Don Quixote. Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, they play off one another in that, that novel. Yes. And then Bruce Chatwin, in song lines, invents this, invents, in fact, a companion named uh, uh, Arkady, a Russian, who, who seems to be his sort of alter ego. Nobody knew until years later that this was an invented uh, character. Uh, but my, my favorite, one of my favorite travel books is by the... New England writer, uh, somebody who lives in up, upstate New York, actually, named George Crane. He was a poet. He had a Buddhist neighbor who was a monk, Mongolian monk. And he dropped in to see Tsung Tsai one day, and after his friend boiled the tea water nine times, he said, Georgie, I'm going back to Mongolia to uh, put up a tomb for my the bones of my master, and I'm, and you're coming along, and you're going to write a book about it. <laughs> and uh, as it turns out, the two of them do head off, and, and it's it's a wonderful book. But part of the joy of it is the the exchange between these two guys that runs throughout. Of course, Sung Tsai the monk gets all the straight lines, and, and Georgie uh, is is at the butt of his humor and wit. Mm-hmm. So it's quite nice. And for me, the struggle to to both to do this journey on my own and then to write about it and to sustain. My interest and the reader's interest, uh, as, as a single individual making you know, continual observations about this and that, it was, it was quite a strain. And suddenly, it, uh, it, it came to, it came to me that uh, another voice would be useful. And so, these messages from Hui Shen began to come through. And since I'd been thinking about this story for 30 years, since I first saw the note about Hui Shen. Uh, I had been jotting down the odd thing and in, in what I thought might be the monk's voice with the possibility of doing it as a book-length poem. So some of these pieces began to emerge as, as messages, as it were, from Hui Shen. And it was wonderful. It just meant that he could say things in a different voice that I couldn't say. Hmm. Such a long journey, of course, is, is going to be fraught with its own uh, difficulties. The adventure can turn into a misadventure at just about any turn. And uh, one of the things which ends up sustaining this, this, this long journey for you uh, is uh, the warmth and generosity of, of so many people. I mean, even as you travel through, through certain parts of the world that we don't 
immediately think of as particularly friendly uh, to the West. Maybe it helped in some respects that uh, that you are uh, from Canada, not from the United States. But nonetheless, it seems that 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 was one of the abiding themes of this journey. Ultimately, was uh, the the welcome you you received time and time again. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Greg, because <clears throat> what I got the deepest sense of in this trip was that we are all a single family, and that various vested interests and uh, and concerns have tried to divide us by talking about us and them and east and west and so on. Our, our ancestors were intrepid travelers. They went all around the all around the earth uh, out of necessity and curiosity. And uh, w- when I was in the refugee camp, 40,000 people, a sea of tents in, in, in Pakistan and all these Afghans who had fled their country, I was sitting in a tent and the patriarch directed his grandson to go and get me uh, a drink. And uh, hospitality is a huge importance to Afghan people. And, you know, even if they don't have a, more than a few scraps in the house, if a guest comes, it's all laid out for that guest. And uh, so I knew immediately that when this kid came back with a soda pop in ice, uh, in ice that I was a dead duck. I had to drink. That. <laughs> I had to drink that because uh, it would have been such an insult to them, you know, with their terrible, meager resources for me to refuse that. So of course I drank it, but I made sure I left some in the glass so they wouldn't get me another one. But uh, two days later, I was sick as a dog. Uh, but yes, I found hospitality in in the strangest places amongst the poor and a dignity and grace that you don't often attribute to people's here and there. Hmm. A dozen countries, a year and a half, you traveled by bus, jet, pickup truck, donkey, camel. (laughs) I mean, it is an extraordinary trip you undertook, and you write about it so beautifully in this book called Kingdom of Ten Thousand Things, an impossible journey from Kabul to Chiapas. Not so impossible because you managed to do it. The book published by Sterling, Gary Geddes, the author. Gary Geddes, I'm glad that we could talk about your your very interesting book today on The Morning Show. My thanks to you. Lovely for me. Thank you, Greg.